You're listening to the Crestcore Real Estate Hour. Now, here's your host, Dean Harris. Good morning, everybody. Everybody, this is Dan Butler with Crestcore Real Estate Hour. Dean Harris taking a few days off, taking his spot this morning to uh, have an exciting guest on uh, on the line, ready to come on with us. Uh, as you know, we're on Facebook Live today. Uh, 10 a.m. Central on Wednesdays. You can catch us also on the Crestcore Facebook page after the show or uh, Crestcore Real Estate Hour on the YouTube page. And finally, you can check us out on iTunes on our podcast listed under the Crestcore Real Estate Hour. Um, today, I'm excited to have Marco Santarelli on the show today. Douglas and I, my business partner, we've uh, gotten to know Marco over the last several years at different real estate conferences, uh, mastermind groups, specifically one that we've been a part of in the last three years um, in Dallas. So I'm really excited to have him. He's well-versed. Marco's well-versed in real estate, all, has a broad knowledge of key concepts around uh, helping investors create passive real estate uh, income and uh, long-term wealth uh, for themselves and uh, legacy uh, uh, for a legacy generation. So Marco has been a real estate investor since he was 18 years old. He's written a book on passive real estate investing, and he's also got an awesome podcast you guys should check out uh, on passive real estate investing has all kinds of great guests, Grant Cardone, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, all kinds of guests that uh, give you a lot of great information about uh, investing in real estate. So lastly, Marco also founded a national turnkey provider called Narada Real Estate Investments, uh, and you'll learn more about that in the upcoming hour with us um, uh, here shortly. I'm excited to have Marco on the show, so let's jump right in. How you doing, Dan? Good morning, Marco. How are you? I'm doing great. Still a little sleepy drinking my coffee, but I'm I'm alive. <laughs> it's funny. We uh we moved this show, I guess a few months ago to ten AM Central just so we could uh cater to our West Coast audience. So glad to have you. Nice. Well thanks for the invite. I'm I'm excited to be on. Yeah, so I gave a quick introduction to our audience and uh this is actually my first time I'm uh expanding my own comfort zone this morning as Dean is usually the host and I'm kind of the co host, so uh, bear with me a little bit, but we'll jump right in. Tell tell the audience a little bit about yourself before we get started. Yeah, so I, I live in Southern California, what I you know half jokingly and half seriously call the Socialist Republic of California. <laughs> and you know th- this is home, but you know I, I firmly believe that you should live where you want and enjoy where you you know enjoy uh, a lifestyle, but invest where it makes sense. And uh, because of that, I invest as far as three thousand miles away. But you know I. I have a family. I, you know, enjoy travel. Um, you know, have a great business, a great team surrounding me, and uh, we love helping real estate investors. We educate them and help them build their real estate portfolios to create financial freedom. But yeah, you commented that I had started investing when I was eighteen. I, I, I recognized early on that real estate was really a true wealth creator, and it's something that excited me. So, as soon as I could qualify for financing, I set those gears in motion. And I went ahead and bought my first rental, fixed it up, managed it, leased it, held it for a number of years. And, um, you know, the proverbial saying, the writing was on the wall. Um, you know, that was that moment. So fast forward to today, you know, here I am still doing what I love investing and uh, helping other people do the same. Do you still have that first investment by chance? No, I mean, if there's a lesson and a takeaway for your audience, mm-hmm. you know that 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 would be the first one to really talk about or at least mention. 
And that is this, you know, that, that deal was so good. It was essentially textbook from beginning to end. And I never took a course or went to a boot camp or read a book. It's it just, I, I guess just through thinking and thinking and observation, I, I kind of figured it out. And I don't say that to brag. I, I say that because the mistake I made was that everything was so good. And I held it for a number of years and that property appreciated. And I had a good chunk of equity in there. And then I did a dumb thing. I sold the property. Mm. I didn't do a 1031 tax deferred exchange. I I didn't hang on to it. I I I made the mistake of selling it. And I took that equity and I probably did some dumb things with it. I don't remember what I spent it on. That was so long ago. But but I sold it was the mistake and I didn't reinvest was the other mistake. And never do that. I mean, the intention that I should have had and the intention that investors should have with owning uh, rental real estate is you're building passive income and you're creating wealth over time. So leverage that, let it grow and and then leverage it and multiply it. So I guess the dumb thing was, is I sold it and I really shouldn't have. I don't remember the exact price of that property. It was probably about $40,000. You know, this was way back when. Mm -hmm. Um, But today it's probably worth about $400,000, if not more. And it would have been paid off free and clear uh, if, you know, if that's the strategy I wanted to take at the time is just to pay it off and, and have it debt free. But it probably would be generating at least 2500 if not $3,000 a month easily in passive income for me today if I kept it. So, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but that was the lesson that I learned after the fact. You know, just something to point out there, listening to you tell that story that uh, that I love. And that's why I loved uh, getting to know you, you know, in the RIR group, Real, Real, Real Investor Roundtable group, last couple of years, just the, the humility, you know, like I think that's what's key for all of us, you know, that have been doing it for a while. It's just... Admit your mistakes. That's how you learn. You know, that's how you grow. And if we can help others not make that same mistake, I think you and I are yeah. kind of the same similar businesses of just trying to help people succeed, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, you and you guys are, are doing extremely well. You have a great business and you know, you're you're some very successful investors and you know, you've learned a lot and, and just sharing that knowledge, sharing that information with people to help them um, fast track their, you know, their efforts and avoid stepping on the landmines and, and into the pitfalls that, you know, you and I might have done in the past is, is really a great way to give back. And that's why I love doing the podcast. Well, I'm going I'm to tangent here because I, and I gave you a preempt that I was going to ask you about this because I was so fascinated uh, about it. How in the world did you get Grant Cardone on your podcast last couple of months? And what was your key learning? I, I learned so much just listening to that 45 minutes hour podcast, you know, how'd you do it and what'd you get out of it? Um, well, I, I, um, I exhibited, it, it's kind of a long story, but I okay. exhibited at his, uh, growth con, uh, 10X growth con two years ago. The second one he did, he, he's now moving on to the fourth one coming early next year. And so I got to meet with his team. I never actually met him directly at the time, but somehow he knew about me. Uh, but I got talking to his marketing team at the time. Um, and a person named Robert, uh, who is no longer there. Um, but he, I, I agreed to do some marketing and advertising with them. So, and that, that to be quite honest, really didn't pay anything for me. It, it was, it was an expensive endeavor and a lesson learned, but, um, but it, it didn't really materialize into anything. However, I did create some relationships within his organization. And because of that, I was able to reach Grant 
and we had essentially an exchange. I he came on my show, and I actually flew down to Florida, and I was interviewed for an hour um, on uh, Ask the Pro. Um, the sad thing is, is they recorded that to um, a, um, the, to a hard drive, essentially a, a RAID array, an array array of, of hard drives. I know that sounds techy, but the point is, is that that drive crashed after we recorded the show and that was months ago. And to this day, they're still trying to recover the data. And I don't, and I mean, I'm even trying to help them. I don't know if they're going to be able to recover that data, but it was a great one hour interview with Grant and uh, I'm hoping to recover it. If it doesn't happen, I might have to fly back out there and do it all over again. Wow. That's crazy. um, That's yeah. That's what I was saying. It's a long story, but that's how I got him on the show. That's great. I I loved, uh, I mean, you know, his big why, I think on your show, he, Told, talked about just, you know, being the best he can be, you know, and that's what drives him. So I thought, I thought that was awesome. But Well, that's exactly what he says. He says, he asks the question, what is my potential? And mm-hmm. he says, the answer to that question is what actually drives him. You know, he says, you know, the, the one thing, uh, you know, that, that impresses him is simply uh, what he can achieve, his level of achievement. What is his potential? He finds that more interesting than you know, a watch. He says, I don't want my kids to think that I'm going to be a deadbeat or say, Hey, my dad's a deadbeat. You know, he wants to be the absolute opposite of that. And so it's not about the money for him. You know, he, he donated a million dollars to, um, um, what was it to, um, uh, some, some charity. I forgot what it was. And, and then, you know, he gave $113,000 randomly to a boy scout unit. And, you know, the guy he was talking to, to make that donation, he said, quote unquote, fell out of his chair. Wow. Um, it was life changing, so, you know, yeah. yeah, it's huge. I mean, yeah. that, that makes a big difference to a lot of people and kids. What, um, you know, kind of back into the, the real estate and I really try to teach our audience, you know, what we, what we done right, what we've done wrong and mostly on the wrong. Cause that's where you learn. But what else did you do besides, you know, I think, you know, kind of reading, reading up on you a little bit. What else did you do besides real estate? You started real young. Did you, did you stay in the real estate track or did you go off a little bit? And, and do something else for, and then come back? Yeah, that's actually a good question because no, I didn't stay on the real estate track. Um, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of people that you and I know, and, and certainly a lot of people in this country, um, you know, think about owning a business, think about starting a business, you know, want to be an entrepreneur. They, they want that flexibility and freedom and, and no limitation on their income. They don't want a cap or a glass ceiling. And so we either wish or dream or pursue, you know, the path of creating our own business and creating our own financial independence. Um, and it's not for everybody. Not everybody's cut out to be an entrepreneur and not, not everybody can actually be an entrepreneur and a business owner, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I've been a serial entrepreneur ever since I was probably 13 when I was actually coding on a computer, I was developing a a game at the age of 13. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I just knew I wanted to create my own financial freedom. And I knew that business was the way to do it. And this was long before Robert Kiyosaki was around, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like today, it's, it's pretty obvious, you know, being, creating a successful business creates the financial independence and time freedom that a lot of people want. Or you take another path, you become a professional investor and you just build a large real estate portfolio and that can achieve your financial independence and financial freedom goals. But but I've always been a serial entrepreneur. So, you know, it, it may have started off with a paper route and then it, it became, you know, me coding a, and developing a game on a computer at an early age. 
But as the years went on, I started other small businesses. I had a, a small office coffee service where I was placing, you know, bun, bunomatic brewers in businesses, and they were buying coffee from me. As I'm sure you're familiar with the concept. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another thing I tried was uh, creating a, pu- a small publishing company. A lot of us are familiar with that lo- big, thick coupon book called the Entertainment uh, Book. Mm-hmm. It used to be called Treasure Chest. Yeah. So I went head to head, toe to toe with those guys for a few years, two, three years, and uh, created a competitor to them. That was a fundraiser. Um, what else did I do? I I, I, I partnered with a cousin of mine, and we raised nine point five million dollars in venture capital funding out of San Francisco. We started what they called a dot com business. It really wasn't a dot com business, but they saw it as a dot com business. And unfortunately, when the stock market, the Nasdaq crashed in two thousand one, you know that funding dried up, and then we weren't cash flow positive, and I had to lay off one hundred and five people. Uh, along with, you know, my, my partners and, um, you know, that was no fun, but, you know, we're, we're constantly trying, you know, we're, Mm -hmm. we're constantly, or I'm constantly trying to create something that creates value and, and, and creating a successful business. And and the truth is, is that there are more failures than there are successes, That's right. but you learn from those failures and you get up, dust yourself off. You try again, you try harder and you learn from those lessons. And, and you know what, if you're persistent, tenacious, and you do it long enough, ultimately, you will you will be successful. It's the people that give up too early, and sometimes right around the corner is that success, and they just stop short of that success. And so you just learn have to learn to be persistent and and stay focused, and just you know shoot for that goal and 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 do everything you can to get there. So but, I, I no, got, I, to answer your question, yeah. I, I the short answer. Yeah, that's a <laughs> lot. Yeah. I've been in real estate. So I, got, I haven't been in real estate. So I got two questions that come from come to mind on that. One is, uh, were you doing real estate on the side while you're doing those other ventures, or did you kind of like get that focus that you talked about and that tenacious, you know, drive on those businesses, and then kind of let re- re- kind of real estate was on the side, or was it kind of still part of your life? Um, it was. It was. It was on the side. Um, it, it was. I started, I started with real estate and then I got my real estate license and then I started selling real estate. So essentially I was a real estate agent in sales. Um, and okay. while I was doing that, I was still buying property. And then I kind of left it for, for many years. I, I just, I don't know why actually, I just decided to pursue other endeavors mm. and that's where I became a business person and entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And then I came full circle in early the early 2000s I went full circle back into real estate but not only back into real estate I decided to go full time into real estate and be a a essentially I turned it into my business I was out buying and renovating properties and and buying and and renovating and holding properties and it became my business not mm-hmm. an investment it became my business um but because of the business I was able to you know obviously cherry pick and renovate and hold properties and that became the investment side of the equation Gotcha. What, so before I jump into Narada, what, you know, what would the, going off that tangent in, in a few years with the venture capital, all that stuff, what's the, what's the top couple of things that come to your mind and what you learned that you're able to apply, like going forward, non-real estate, then you say, all right, I can use that and use that to, is it, is it the focus? Is it the persistence? Is it, you know, what, what would you say the key takeaways were? Um, you need, well, there's a couple that come to mind. If, yeah. if, I, if I probably thought about it, we could even talk about that for an hour. Yeah. But um, you, no matter what you do, I think you have to actually create value. There needs to be something 
in there that is sustainable and provides value. Uh, whether it's real estate and you're providing housing, or it's a business and you're you're you know you're you're selling a product or service, um, a, a lot of businesses back in the dot com days really didn't have. They may have had a good story, but they didn't really create value. Mm. Um, I think I think the biggest thing that came to mind as you were asking the question was the whole concept of cash flow. You know, when we talk about investment real estate, we talk about cash flow is king, that an investment isn't an investment, at least in my book. I don't define an investment as anything that anything other than that that generates income. It has to create income, passive income. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing is true with any kind of business. You know, a lot of these venture capitalists funded these startups and these businesses that were forever cash flow negative. They were just, you know, they had a tremendous burn rate. Uh, our burn rate was $100,000 a month. And so it was pretty easy to burn through millions of dollars. And um, we never became profitable. And so it was never a sustainable business. Like we, we didn't get traction to the point where we were profitable. Hmm. And, and the, the same principle and concept must be applied to real estate. If you don't have income-producing real estate, that is not a sustainable business or investment because you're going to be feeding you know, that, that beast for a long time. And, and if you're just hoping to get appreciation, then you're just a speculator. You're gambling and hoping that something in the future is going to happen that will make that, that quote-unquote investment profitable for you. So whether it's real estate or a business, the, the greatest lesson I've learned is that you need to have cash flow and there needs to be net profit from your ventures in order for it to be a true business or a true investment. No, I love that. That's it's, it's funny. That's we have three three main goals for our, our overall business, and you know, net cash flow is number three. You know, not number three, but one of the three. Like, just laser focused on that. So, I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, yeah. So, jumping into tell me tell the audience about like number one, who Narada is. You know, not and then how did you go about starting that? Like after all this, you went through and, and you know, let the audience know that if you don't mind. Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, I got back into real estate investing and real estate as a business uh, back in the early 2000s. <clears throat> it probably started, I, I really put, put the pedal to the metal in 2003. I, I went to a free three-day boot camp here in Orange County, California, that was put on by a guy named Glenn, who was actually out of Canada, Canadian, but investing heavily in the U.S. and uh, all along the, the Northeast. Um, actually, as far south as Florida, and this guy was riveting. He 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 was super engaging. He had you riveted to your seat. The organization that was behind this presentation was actually um, uh, at the time they were called EMI, the Enlightened Millionaire Institute. And it was it was a guy named Robert G. Allen, who also coincidentally is from Canada um, and lives down here in San Diego. <clears throat> but um, Robert Allen is a famous author. I know you know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's 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 you know, he's authored and co-authored many many books, including some books you know with um, Mark Victor Hansen. And um, you know they put on this real estate event, and it was free, of course. But you know at the back of the room, after the first day or the second day, they were selling these boot camps for fifteen, twenty-five, and thirty-five thousand dollars. Oh my goodness! And sure enough, there were literally hundreds of people pulling out their credit cards, going to the back of the room, and investing in these boot camps. Um, and, and that was just the beginning of the investment. You still had to pay for your flights and accommodations and meals for all the cities that you had to att- attend to go and, and to take these, these boot camps and these courses. 
But I had time on my hands because I decided I'm going to be a full-time real estate investor. And so I decided, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And, you know, I, I did learn a lot, but there was so much more that I knew already that they were teaching that I didn't really need to be there. But here's what came out of that. And this is why I'm, I'm telling the story mm -hmm. is in the process of visiting all these cities and meeting hundreds of investors, I got to do exactly that, meet hundreds of investors. And I got to network and know other people. And while I was investing and going to these boot camps, these investors, some of them were coming up to me and saying, hey, I, I know you're investing. I see you're investing. I see what you're buying. I know what you're doing. Um, I need a kick in the pants. And I need, you know, I'm taking all these educational courses, but I haven't been able to pull the trigger. I can't find the deal. And they were asking me to initially coach them and mentor them. I said, no, I don't have the time for that. But then they said, well, you know, maybe I proposed the idea. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I, I can I can find you some deals because I'm not buying everything I, I'm looking at. And that's when the light bulb moment went off. That's that's when I realized, hey, geez, you know, there's a biz, a potential business here. There's a niche of, of providing, at the time, rent-ready real estate to these investors. And that quickly morphed into becoming turnkey real estate. And then I marketed the crap out of that and really put the whole phraseology of turnkey real estate on the map. Um, prior to that, there really wasn't any quote-unquote nationwide provider or promoter of turnkey real estate. There was one company here in Southern California. They're still around, but they're, as far as I understand, they're just a shell of what they used to be. And so um, that's how the business started is just I, I identified a need. Investors were asking me for help, and I just started feeding them. Uh, deals at the time. And then I turned that into a business and I refined that and improved it and created systems and, and the rest is history. And it's funny. Uh, that's exactly, I mean, very, very similar story to Douglas and I, like, except for, I guess we saw the deals were just, you know, we started a little bit later than you and all these deals were flowing by us and we're like, well, we can't buy all these. What can we do with them? <laughs> you know, like it's like light bulb moment. Oh wait, why can't we help others do the same thing we're doing? So that's uh, yeah. very similar, uh, just different angle, but uh, definitely, you know. So how many, so I, I guess to your point, I loved, when I read that about you, like the 2003, I was like, I can't think of any turnkey providers out there that have been doing it since, two, I, I just can't name any except for you. So that's, hats off to you. That's an awesome, um, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Like I, like I said, there was only one other company that were heavily focused here in Southern California doing, um, you know, seminars, um, you know, local workshops and drawing in the local so-called SoCal crowd. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, you know, it, it, the thing is, is that this need has always been around. I, I'm just surprised mm -hmm. that it took up until 2003 to get, you know, to get it to where it is today. Um, but, you know, there's always, there's always a catalyst for every type of, of idea or business. Absolutely. And maybe that was the catalyst. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What, uh, how many cities do you guys uh, help investors in as of today? Well, it's about 22 markets. Okay. However, we don't always have inventory in all those markets all the time. So we kind of uh, float in and out of these different markets. Most of those are what we call tier two markets. You know, Memphis is a, is a, is a perennial market. We love Memphis. I think you're in, you know, just such an awesome location. And, yeah. I had no uh, idea when I moved here, how blessed I was to uh, relocate here from my, my previous career. So yes, I agree. Yeah. There's just so much opportunity in Memphis. 
And, you know, some people will, and I've referred to Memphis as a quote-unquote boring market, and boring is good when it comes to real estate. You know, you don't need to be in New York or L.A. or San Francisco, you know, these, these cyclical or bubble markets to, to be successful. In fact, it's really difficult, if not impossible, to invest in those markets. So, the, you know, the 20-some markets that we choose have to have strong fundamentals. They have to have a house, healthy housing market. There needs to be a supply of inventory. There needs to be balance, some sort of balance between supply and demand. You have to have the, uh, you know, the, um, the economics in place. The numbers certainly need to make sense at, at the property level, not just the market, but the, the, at the property level. You need to be able to find inventory where it's priced right and affordable to the point where the rents that you get every month are in the right ratio to that purchase price so you can generate positive cash flow. And, uh, of course, and this, you know, this kind of plays into what you guys do, which you do so extremely well, and that is you have to have the right team, the right boots on the ground, because all our clients are, are out of, out, you know, are long distance. They're out of state. And so we have clients, let's say, out of New York or California or wherever it may be, and they're investing in, in Memphis, and we're recommending properties and, and, and different, different uh, providers and management companies, inspectors and title companies and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. in, in these, these markets. But the quality of those people and how they perform and, and what they're doing for you is critically important. You know, it's, it's, I like to say that we're not in the property business, we're in the people business. And, and everywhere you, you turn, you're dealing with human beings, you're dealing with people. Your tenant is a person, they're your customer, you're serving that customer. And so when you look at it that way, you realize that, no, I, I'm not investing in real estate. Yeah, it's the vehicle, but really I'm building a team of people to, and providing a service to help me achieve whatever investment goals or other goals that I'm trying to achieve. So when you look at it as that way, as a people business, um, it makes a whole lot more sense. But the markets are the markets because of the things I just mentioned, Memphis being a great one. We're still in Memphis. It's a perennial market. There's Shortage of inventory there, but we still have good inventory. So, you know, we continue to to be in that market. What do you say to people that, I mean, I get this question, I bet, two to three times a week from people either just starting or done one or two that just say, like, do you see the market drying up? Do you see the deals going away? How do you answer that just out of curiosity with, because you've got a lot of diff- more markets than we do, you know, as far as the exposure? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Well, you know, first of all, there needs to be more more clarity and specificity in that question when someone asks yeah, me or true. you that question, because when they talk about the market, I, my first question is, what market are you, are you referring to? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, there's certainly, you know, a dry factor in many markets. Like take Atlanta, for example. We we are, you know, we still want, we still love Atlanta. We still want to be selling property in Atlanta. But the reality is, is that that market has become very, very tight. There's such a low amount of inventory uh, c- coupled with the fact that it's been appreciating very well above its historical norm over the last three, four or five years that it's really difficult to get some inventory there. Um, so when we have it, it goes very quickly. But that's an example of a market that has huge inventory issues. Mm. And so even though we, we want to be there, we can't necessarily have property there all the time because it's just not available. Our teams can't get it. Uh, now, interestingly enough, we actually have some new construction um, uh, three-bedroom homes being built right now. I think eight of them that are coming up soon. Uh, they're not on our website yet, 
Uh, but they're, you know, great properties, great locations. The numbers are attractive, very attractive. It just happens to be that there were a bunch of lots available and the numbers made sense for, uh, for my guys to be able to acquire those and, and, and build some new construction homes. But, you know, to the question of, you know, is the market drying up or what, you know, the question is, what market are you talking about? <clears throat> and then let's look at those markets. But I, I will, I will add to that and say this, you know, there, we, we're in we're in this country with over 400 metropolitan statistical areas and, and closer to 600 and some if you include micro markets. And because of that, and knowing the fact that all real estate is local, there's no such thing as a national housing market. There's no housing market. It's 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 all about local markets and even hyper local markets. Knowing that, there are always opportunities. There are always deals to be found. There are always markets you can invest in. So just because one market like Atlanta. Uh, has low inventory or has appreciated too fast, too much too fast, and it doesn't make sense from an investment perspective, that doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities in other cities or other markets around the country. It's just knowing what to look for Mm -hmm. and going out and identifying those markets or working with a company like ours that have already identified those markets and are putting the teams together and providing the inventory um, you know, to make available for investment purposes within those markets. So never ask the question, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess if, ask where. Yeah, and you bring up a great point. I, and I, it's funny, when I hear that question, I always think, you know, two things. One is, you know, you know you've heard of the four Ds, right? Death, divorce, disability. Uh, I think the four drugs, I believe. But there's always life events that are happening, which means there's always going to be inventory created somewhere, and then you take the the Grant Cardone the 10x you know concept of you know you might have to like if it's not Atlanta maybe it's Marietta or you know suburbs that are you know an hour even an hour outside of Atlanta you know like you just got to reach further deeper no more people you know what I mean like it, it's just an excuse is what I tell people like it just you you got to make it happen I don't know is that how you feel well yeah I mean and it really it, what you said is absolutely true you know those are the kinds of people we refer to as distressed sellers. You know, they, they have a distressed situation in their life. Um, that, that's certainly one way to skin the cat. You know, if, 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 if you, you know, have the time or the ability or you can um, put the team together to, to, to find those people, mm-hmm. they're always out there, always out there. There's always people with distressed situations. So that's one way to find those deals if you want to take that active approach, not a passive approach where it's essentially done for you and the property is there available, cash flowing from day one, tenant occupied, professionally managed, blah, blah, blah. You know, exactly what we offer, the passive side of that real estate investing. If the, the active side, there's, there's really two sources of those properties. There's the distressed sellers, which is what you just described, you know, the, those that are, you know, going through divorce, have a death in the family, whatever the case is. Um, but there are also, um, there's also inventory in some markets where you don't have to actually find a distressed seller. You're just finding a distressed asset. It could be a property that's already foreclosed on its bank owned. Uh, you don't have to be dealing with, with anybody at the property. You're just dealing with the bank, uh, or the trustee, whoever's selling the property. And so that's a distressed property as opposed to a distressed seller. Mm -hmm. And, And that's a pool of available inventory for you as well, but you need to be prepared to roll up your sleeves, do the work, fund it, take on the risk, manage the crew, um, you know, budget four to six months, you know, from start to finish, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to get that deal done and and then either flip it or put it in your portfolio. 
nothing wrong with that. I, you know, I do some of that myself. Uh, I've done hundreds of those, um, but that's not for everybody. And, and this is why the whole passive approach is attractive, but uh, so, I forgot what your original question yeah. was. <laughs> no, that's good. You know, what you described was being an active investor situation. And so I guess, how do you advise, I know, I, know, I feel like you talk a lot about passive, you know, investing. How do you advise somebody? How do you, you know, determine whether you should be an active investor, passive investor? That's kind of probably a loaded question, but I know you probably get that conversation a lot. Like, you know, how involved should you be? Do you go this path to be an active or this path to be a passive? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, <clears throat> the answer is pretty simple. If, if you know, if, if you're, if you're a busy person and you have a, you know, a full-time job or career, you have family, you have friends, you have hobbies, you're doing things on the weekend, you don't have a lot of time to do anything more, anything extra, especially going through a learning curve of learning about real estate investing and then putting those things into action, applying what you've learned and you know, assembling a team and taking the time to uh, go out and search and find you know, potential deals and negotiate on them, write contracts manage a crew, fix things up, uh, all the way through to even property, doing property management. All those things that involve your time being actively involved is an active approach to real estate investing. To whatever degree you want to take that investing or, or that activity you know, to. The flip side of that is, is a more passive approach. And that is, um, it's not as simple as, as or as, as simplistic as push button investing like like you do with the you know with the stock market where you set up yourself uh, an e-trade account or or stock trade or whatever it is and you know you just start buying stocks and it's in your portfolio and you you set it and forget it it's not quite that simple but passive real estate investing involves a little bit of work on the front end too whether you do it on your own or work with a team like ours you're essentially identifying the markets and identifying neighborhoods and properties within that market once you've identified those properties and you know, you're an escrow, you've done your due diligence, you close, you put it in your portfolio or in your LLC, uh, and then move on to the next thing or the next property. Um, that's the passive approach, it's essentially identifying cash flowing assets that don't require maintenance and repairs or, or renovation, rehab, rehabilitation. You're essentially buying those properties, putting in your portfolio, starting the cash flow from day one, month one, and moving on to the next deal and the next deal. That's the passive approach where there's minimal minimal time investment, minimal activity. Um, you still have your team and you still need to do your due diligence, but you don't need the brain damage and the headache of identifying those properties and fixing them up. That That's how I differentiate between active and passive. Uh, everyone we talk to loves the passive approach because it saves them so much time and they're essentially just kickstarting or taking their investment investing and investments and investment portfolio to the next level. So I'm not sure if I'm answering this clearly, yeah. but that's essentially how I differentiate it. No, that's good. And I guess my one question that, that leads me to ask you is like, what, um, do what do you, do you, uh, do you, uh, advise people that want to do passive investing to learn certain parts of the business? Um, how do you, to me, you know, running a property management company, there's a little bit of managing the manager, if you will, you know, you, you start, you pointed out it's not as easy as just you know buying a stock and you're hoping your you know your uh, financial planner you know takes care of you and you're just waiting for that call that when the market is crashing or something. But I feel like real estate investing is a little bit different. What what are your thoughts on that? How do you how do you advise your clients to like 
you know, understand what they're getting into, if you will, if, if that makes sense. <clears throat> a lot of them, a lot of them have already thought about it and they come to us, you know, somewhat educated because they've been listening to, you know, your radio show, our podcast, reading articles or, or, you know, the, you know, the ultimate guide, the free download on our website. They've been reading books. They've been going to forums, um, whatever the case is, they've, 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 educated themselves to some degree and so they get you know they get the idea of real estate investing and the benefits of it and some of them are you know not beginners they're not newbies they're you know seasoned to some degree they've got two properties 20 properties you know whatever Mm -hmm. um but you know the the advice we give them is all the same and that is um first you know my first rule of successful real estate investing is to educate yourself so whether they're educated or not, it's to educate yourself, continue educating yourself. And you don't have to be an absolute expert or guru just to understand enough about investing and enough about, you know, uh, taxes and enough about asset protection and enough about property management and all these other areas. So you can have an intelligent conversation with your CPA, your attorney, your property manager. And that allows you to be um, engaged and on top of things, and essentially run your real estate business and run your real estate empire, it, it makes you the CEO of your investing business, but it doesn't necessarily make you, uh, you know, a, a, an expert in that area. So it's important to educate yourself and, and to continue educating yourself and know enough that you can be a great investor, not just a good investor. So it really starts with knowledge and education. That that's That's really what we, you know, what we strongly recommend people do. But beyond that, it's just having the right team around you because they're going to help and support you. That's why you hire these people. That's why you hire your property manager. You're paying them a fee to oversee your assets to, to help you manage. So that doesn't mean you have to know everything about property management. It doesn't mean you need to do the management itself, but it, it puts you in a position where you, you can have an intelligent conversation. You can be engaged. You can answer questions if, if questions come up. And you can help drive and steer that ship. No, I totally agree with that. And I, I think you, you know what you just described. I think Robert Kiyosaki really hones homes that in of that whole you know uh, concept of letting others create value for you of what they're very good at. That's one of the key takeaways I just remember from years ago. You know, listening, yeah. watching him, like, hey, because I know investors that they'll have us property management, all that stuff. They might own twenty houses, and then they do their own taxes. You know what I mean? Like, they're not. They're not using somebody else's knowledge. I mean, you know, they're saving, you know, a thousand bucks or whatever that is, but they're losing out on the value created by that CPA that knows all the tax rules, all the depreciation concepts and that kind of stuff. So I think you nailed it on the head. But what, where do you see a passive investor, you know, that, you know, what's the top three things that come to your mind of why they don't make it? You know, like. Why they don't make it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting question. Um, you know, why do they, you know, they get in it for a year and they said, this isn't for me. You know, what's, what, what comes to your mind, you know, cause you always hear the, 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 the good stories about just kick back and, you know, cause I, I love what you said. You got to keep yourself engaged, be the CEO. You gotta, you gotta own it and drive it, but let the experts do what the experts do. But there's still some people that just can't, you know, just don't make it in this business. I just thought I'd see what your thoughts were on why that might be. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess in a way we're talking about their mistakes. What mistakes do they make? Mm-hmm. And, and and if that's the case, then um, one of I guess this these are in no particular order. They're just as they come to mind. But one one of the big mistakes I 
see time and time and time again. In fact, I literally had this conversation with someone who called me last night in the evening. Um, uh, someone who's in one of my mastermind groups who I haven't talked to for a while. And we got, he, he's, uh, this guy made millions of dollars in, uh, in, in, in cryptocurrency, pure speculation. He went wow. all in <laughs> Wow. and he, 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 he probably grossed $12 million, um, in, 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 in crypto, but he's now got $6 million after tax and we're talking about what to do with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I got into this conversation with him last night and one of the biggest mistakes, and he brought it up. He said, you know, maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll buy one property, see how that goes. And then, you know, continue from there. He's certainly very interested in real estate and he realizes it's probably the most powerful thing he could do in terms of investing. Um, but he said, you know, he was asking me, I, I, I know there's these companies out there, they're selling, you know, $40,000, $50,000 properties. There's one he's actually looking at, a $48,000 property. He was telling me about it, where it's located, its condition, what needs to be done, and all that kind of stuff. And to make a long story short, I said, you know, that that is a grand mistake. That's what a lot of investors do, is they think that they're going to dip their toes in the water, or they're going to, quote unquote, start small by investing in a 40 or 50 or maybe a $60,000 property. And I know it's, it's certainly market dependent because, mm-hmm. you know, in Memphis, you have a lot of those 40, 50, $60,000 projects, but you also have properties that are, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars or even in the millions. And, right. you know, we just don't see that here in Southern California, but in general terms, in most parts of the country, investing in a 40 or $50,000 property. And again, I'm generalizing a little bit here and I, and I, and I know I don't want to, you know, Say the wrong thing, and you know, and and, and affect you know people uh, incorrectly. Um, just just listen to the concept here. Yeah. But starting small that way in in a property that is in a very low income, depressed area that probably has high crime and certainly poor schools and you know a, a lot of uh, transient type of tenants creates problems, and it's not the way to start investing in real estate. And it's not a great way to invest and build your portfolio exclusively of that property type. Mm-hmm. But a lot of investors want to quote unquote start small and they end up purchasing these 40 and $50,000 properties, which you can't really finance anyway. So they're all cash purchases. Then they have a lot of brain damage and headaches from problematic tenants, tenants that have a high turnover. They're very, very transient. They, they change jobs frequently. Sometimes they skip payments at the beginning of the month. Uh, and you may have a different experience with this, but my own personal experience and from a lot of investors I talk to, this is generally what ends up happening. And so, so back to your question, mm-hmm. you know, one of the mistakes investors make is, is starting off, starting their portfolio or building a portfolio with too much of that product or that property type and realizing that that is not the best way to build your real estate portfolio and have a great experience. No, I mean, I wrote down when, when you started talking, I was like, my biggest one I see that probably leads to some of the other issues I see coming out of that is just, I call it chasing the return, you know, like they'll see three houses and that, like that $40,000 house looks like it's got a 15% return, but that $80,000 house looks like it has a, you know, 9% return. They're going to chase the, you know, the $40,000 house and, you know, in the, what looks, what's, you know, on paper versus reality is two different things. Right. And I think that's what yeah. we end up seeing as well. People chasing that return thinking, well, I can get, you know, 15% if I do this house but they don't realize the tenant, you know, turnover, the vacancy, the bad debt, the damage, the maintenance issues, and all that stuff. And 
you know, the only one I was going to add too is just, you know, people take it so emotionally, you know what I mean? I, but I think some of that's driven by chasing the return, you know, if, if, yeah. you know, they get into the business by the wrong quote unquote, the wrong house by chasing that return. And then, you know, they're, they're, you know, house gets, I mean, I got one guy that he, he just got out he bought some stuff, you know, lower end stuff, not through us, but you know, we end up managing it and he just, you know, had one, two AC units stolen. And he's, he finally sent me an email one day and said, you know what? I think I'm just going to go invest in REITs. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, you know, that, yeah, that's a great example. I mean, th- th- this is the kind of stuff that happens when you're dealing with, and then, you know, I, I hate to label people, but look, at the end of the day, these are just, this is just data. It's fact. Mm-hmm. When you look at demographics, yeah. you know, whether, whether you, you can, you can back it by facts or it's anecdotal. The reality is, is that I'm going to have a different experience if I have a tenant that's paying $1,500 a month in my $150,000 property, that's in like a B plus type of area, maybe a minus versus having a property in a C minus area uh, with a transient tenant who's paying, you know, 500 bucks, 600 bucks a month in rent. Uh, I, I know, I know I'm going to have a different experience and, and, and maybe not necessarily in the first month or the second month, but certainly over the course of a year or two, I, I know I'm going to have a different experience. Yeah, I agree. So we got to wrap it up, Marco. I think I, w- I want to end it with just what are the top three things, uh, pre- piece of advice you'd give people wanting to start in real estate investing after all these years of you, you know, doing it since you're 18 years old, what, what top three things you could say, if there's three things that I could advise you, what would those be? Well, I said the first one before, and that is educate yourself mm-hmm. and continue to educate yourself. You know, even if it's, even if it's just a, a reading one book a month, you know, just, just get, get in, get in the game. Mm-hmm. Number two is, is take action. You know, you could, you could become the most intelligent, well, well-versed and knowledgeable person on real estate investing in the country. But unless you actually take action, nothing is going to happen. And so that, that's a critical piece and do it sooner than later. You know, if you have time on your side and it's a huge advantage. Um, And, you know, if you don't want to do it all yourself, you know, work with a company like like ours or, or yours or whoever Mm -hmm. that can help you in identifying the property and putting the pieces together. And then the third um, how much time do we have left, Dan? Okay, a couple minutes. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay, all right. So I was kind of rushing through those. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, there's a lot of number threes. Uh, boy. Uh, well, third, while you're thinking about right. that, I was gonna, I'm going to joke with you. I have to show my notes after the show. My first two match yours to the T. Take out, you know, educate. Yeah, I said read, listen, and meet, and educate yourself. And then number two is take action. Because I just hear so many people that just, they do that analysis by paralysis and, you know, and it's just like, go, man, just go buy one. What's the worst can happen to you? You know what I mean? Like people think they're going to go under and it's like, no, man, not, not if you take precaution, we'll take, you know, help take care of you. So you get some people that, that I meet today that to been talking about for five years, still wanting to come meet again and get started. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, man, you could have had hundreds of thousands of equity by now if you just started when you talked about it five years ago. So anyway. Yeah. 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 Some people make the mistake of waiting for the right time. Like they, they, they become mm-hmm. market timers. Yep. The, the, the risk in that is there's an opportunity cost. You, you can always find good deals. And if you're not in the market, you have nothing to gain. So you need to be in the market in order to, to, to benefit and gain something from it. So being out is, is, is a lost opportunity. So you've got to chalk it up to opportunity cost. Yep. 
I agree. <laughs> the third one, the third one I'll, I'll throw out there yeah. is, um, is, uh, uh, save as much as you can, as fast as you can and go broke, deploy that capital as quickly as possible into your next property and your next property and keep doing that. And if you have a truck, if you have trouble, uh, saving because you don't have enough income or your expenses are too high, well, you know, start shaving in some of those expenses and increase your income. You know, get a second job, start a business, get a raise, uh, sell more, do whatever it takes to, to save as much as you can because the more you save and the faster you do it, the faster you're going to be able to buy your, your next and next and next property. No, I'm with you. You know, Dave Van Horn, I'm sure you're familiar with him. Have you met him before? Yep. Yeah, yep. I love, you know, I just, when I think of him, I think of velocity of money. You know, just always keeping your money working some way, somehow out there, and it snowballs. And it doesn't have to be just a house. could be a note. It could be, you know, all kinds of different things. But keeping that money moving versus sitting there, you know, or spending it on stuff, a liability, as, as Kiyosaki would call it, right? Yeah, you don't want money sitting sitting idle because uh, you're actually losing money. You know, inflation is eroding away the purchasing power of, of, of that cash sitting on the side. So you don't want it sitting on the side. Absolutely. Well, Marco, this has been awesome, man. I appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule. And I've got so many notes I wrote sure. down of just what I've learned from you today, just from uh, asking a bunch of questions. So I appreciate the time. And I know our listeners will as well, because they're, they're focused on taking action and making it happen. So I appreciate you helping uh, push that along. Oh, yeah. It's been my pleasure, Dan. All right, Marco. Take care. All right. Thank All right. you. Uh-huh. Bye.